Now, Birdsong, fun and fascinating talk about the top stories in today's headlines. Birdsong may just be the most qualified talk show host in the business, thanks to his many careers in law, government, and education. Here's your host, Leonard Birdsong. Hello, folks. This is Birdsong, back with you for another week of information and entertainment. So glad to be with you here on the radio. You know, I come on once a week. I've got a good show today. I have a guest, Dr. Oliver Akumnonu. He's from Nigeria, but he's, uh, he works in America now, and he's written a book. His question is, would you interrupt your career to care for a grandchild? Well, we're going to find out from Dr. Oliver how he and his wife did it. Also, later in the show, you're going to hear my commentary and opinions on some news of the week. The Comey book is out. Trump lawyers were in court this past uh, Monday, and uh, Michael Cohen's lawyer, or we find that Michael Cohen has as his client Sean Hannity. Very interesting. There will be some dumb criminal law stories and riddles, a Paul Harvey story, and my thought for the day. So let's get started. When Dr. Oliver Akinunu and his wife learned their daughter, Nina, was having her first child while finishing medical school, they were inspired to go from busy professionals to busy babysitters. I don't know. I have a god, a, a granddaughter. I don't know if I can do it, but he's written a book called Little Baby Lydia. I think that's about the grandpa, the grandma, and uh, the student, family, and how they help raise the daughter. Dr. Akamunonu, welcome to Birdsong. How are you? Doing good, thank you. Good, good. I read your book. Thank you for sending me to it. It was uh, very well written, and I, I enjoyed it. I Like I say, I do have a granddaughter who's now seven years old. I have not <laughs> had the opportunity <laughs> to quit my my career to uh, help raise a child, but God bless you for what you did. How about that? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Now, tell me a little bit about yourself or tell the audience. I know a little bit about you, and you know that I've lived in Nigeria. I was stationed there with the diplomatic service for a while, but even before that, I helped build a small maternity hospital in Ife, Nigeria. You are from Owiri, right? Yes, yes. And I've been to Owiri. I've been to your hometown, believe it or not. But uh, you got your medical degree in Nigeria, and then you came to America. You're an anesthesiologist. Tell us more. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, it's it's uh, I'm glad you 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 know the background. You know a little bit of uh, where I came from. Uh, uh, I was born in Nigeria, raised in Nigeria. Uh, had most of my education in Nigeria. A little bit um, uh, in the British system. Uh, attended a, a, a secondary a primary school. Um, it's a Catholic school. Then a government secondary school uh, in our people in Nigeria. And then uh, we were caught up by the Civil War before I, com- I completed high school. Um, but after high school, we continued, uh, we completed high school, and then um, I got admission into the medical school, uh, the Premier University um, uh, of Ibadan. And, the uh, University uh, of Ibadan. You know that I lived yes. in Ibadan for a whole year. I was in charge of the oh. American, I was a deputy in charge of the library there in Ibadan, the American Library. Oh, oh that's awesome. Yeah, uh, they, they, it's a, small, a very small world. 
Yeah, so the, the, the medical school um, uh, was uh, under University uh, College Hospital uh, in London, but it's now autonomous. So um, I finished there, then uh, specialized in anesthesiology, uh, worked with the government, then later went private. Ultimately, um, uh, sent my children over to the U.S. here. Uh, uh, we have uh, three sons and one daughter. Then after some time, we felt it was better for us, uh, and also considering the um, insecurity uh, situation in in Nigeria as of the time, and perhaps as of now, uh, we applied for um, for the green card that is uh, for permanent residents in the U.S. who are uh, who are given green card. Eventually, after five years, we we became U.S. citizens. And uh, my wife is a dentist, and uh, three of the, uh, and all our four children um, are now doctors. So the last of them actually was in the medical school. Um, uh, when she got pregnant, the the fiance was uh, out of the country, and uh, it wasn't easy for her to uh, get a babysitter. We started planning to see how the child would be cared for. It was near impossible. In fact, it was impossible as of the time to get a babysitter in Boston uh, because she was in uh, uh, in Boston University in her, in her final year. So, under the, um, uh, the the prevailing situation, it was either she would momentarily drop out of school or that one of us as the grandparents of the expected child would have to step in. And ultimately, now, you, you, you didn't want her to drop out of medical school, that's for sure. No, no, certainly not. Well, she, she actually wasn't to drop out. Uh, uh, they gave her an option to to uh, join back, to stay off, then join back after uh, six months, after, after the baby must have matured a little bit. But then she opted that uh, to, to stay on. But we didn't see how it was possible for her to uh, to stay on because there was no way she could combine both of them. So, but eventually we decided that uh, either my wife or or I would have to step in and care for the baby. It was a difficult decision to make, uh, having to leave our jobs, uh, our source of income. But then we felt that the baby was more important than anything that we might think in terms of uh, jobs since especially since one of us was in a position to support to support uh, the entire family so um while we, we were doing it we were jotting down notes about the development of the baby after the baby was born and we felt that it was necessary um uh to let other people who might find themselves in a similar situation know how we were able to carry on. It wasn't easy, but it was of uh, something of immense joy. I'm sure it was. Now, let me just yeah. stop you here at this page. I yeah. have read your book, and I wanted to just say, and say uh, if I'm wrong, you the book covers about the first 14 to 15 months of your baby Lydia. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And you, it had been about 30 years before, since you had to do change diapers and things like that. <laughs> Incidentally, our last, our last, uh, uh, child, uh, was stunning 
30 years uh, when the baby was born. So it was something, having to relearn a trade. We, we, in fact, what about in Nigeria, when, uh, when I was practicing in Nigeria, I didn't have time to, uh, we had babysitters. We had two or three babysitters at every point in time. Uh, so I never had the opportunity of change, ever changing diapers. <laughs> but you certainly learned. Now let me let me just get to the point here. You found this a gratifying experience, didn't yes. you? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Amazing. In your in your book, you write: in watching baby Lydia grow, Grandma and Grandpa once again truly saw the face and wonders of God. When they had their own baby, perhaps they were either too young, too naive, or too unappreciative of nature. They, therefore, had probably taken too many things for granted. For granted, but now, definitely. But now, definitely. as grandparents, what do you say? You oh, know about it's, it's the de- awesome, development of children, awesome right? Experience. Yeah, it's an awesome, it's an awesome experience. And I think, honestly speaking, it is something that we need to share. And, uh, to share with others because many people, many people might might not understand. They might not know until they experience it. Watching a baby, you know, a baby from the day of birth, you know, come up uh, unable to hold the head, unable to uh, to crawl. You see the baby now almost getting to to walk up to you as of as of today. When I see a baby Lydia, that is. The, the fiction name that we actually get, uh, that we get to the, that's not the actual name. But since the book is a, is a written as fiction, but based on a true story. I know that it's uh, based on a true story. The names are changed <laughs> to protect the innocent, yeah. as they say. Exactly, exactly. But tell exactly. us a few tips, uh, refresher tips you had to learn with Baby Lydia. Yeah, uh, Baby Lydia has been an awesome experience, uh, and, uh, the major thing to share in uh, as regards her upbringing is that grandparents need to take more interest in the bringing of the, of, of their babies. I mean, of their um, of their grand uh, grandchildren. No matter the, no matter the uh, the type of job, no matter the type of uh, uh, big income that might be coming, bringing up your or seeing after. The upbringing of your uh, grandchild is something that you can never experience. You, you can never, you, you can never experience uh, on on uh, twice. It's something that most, I mean, most people should actually try to uh, get themselves into because for us, and I believe it will be the, the same for um, every other person. It was an awesome experience and. The secret to it, to the success of actually helping and helping successfully, is patience. Because sometimes it could be could be quite trying, you know. Especially having to get up at night, having to keep awake, having to send to a child that is crying, and you don't know what, <laughs> what is making him or her cry. Right. <laughs> Well, you talk about the first teeth, you talk about the first fever, you talk about the first smile. It, it's sort of a heartwarming book. I should tell our listeners that as well as being a medical doctor, you are an author, and your book is Little Baby Lydia. It's uh, on Amazon.com, right? Yes. 
people might want to get it. I, like I said, I'm a grandfather. I got one grandchild, a granddaughter. I haven't seen her grow up every day, but boy, do they really grow. They seem like the grandchildren grow up much quicker than the children, you know? Yeah, that's you, true. You agree that's on that? <laughs> Surprisingly, so, but it is, it is true because you are, you are seeing them now from a different perspective. You know, you probably by the time you, your children were growing up, you didn't have enough time. But with grandchildren, with grandchildren, especially getting to retirement, you actually have more time with them. And uh, it is something, it's an, it's an opportunity that should never be missed. Mm-hmm. All right. So you are a very accomplished man, Dr. Akam Nuno. No, no, I'm sorry. Yeah. And yeah, you're not only a doctor, right. you are a writer and a publisher, as I understand. I will yeah. say that your book is a good read, particularly for grandparents who might want to do something like this. I don't know if I can completely give up everything I do, but I do want to spend more time with my granddaughter, and I'm going to do it. Because I, some of the things that you put in the book are things that I've noticed that I really didn't notice when my children were growing up. So God bless you. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Leonard. Doctor, thank you very much for your time, okay? Yeah, and good luck you with so your much, book sales. Leonard. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. This is Birdsong. We've been talking to Dr. Oliver Akanonu about uh, being a grandfather and taking time from his practice to help raise his granddaughter. His grand, his daughter was in medical school in the last year, and she needed help, and the grandparents came up to bat and helped raise the child. Quite a story. This is Birdsong. We have more for you, so stick with us. I'm going to come back and tell you a little bit of the commentary and opinions I have on the weekly news. You're here with Birdsong. Hello, folks. Birdsong back with you. So good to be with you. We had our first guest, Dr. Oliver Akamnonu, grandparent who helped raise their granddaughter, he and his wife. They're both medical people, and they helped their daughter through medical school by raising or helping to raise the grandchild for the first 14 months of its life. Now I want to talk a little bit about commentary and opinions on some of the weekly news. You know, I like to try to bring in the legal aspects of some of the things that are happening in the news of the past week. One of the things that happened, of course, is that the fired FBI director has come out with a book. It's called A Higher Loyalty. His name, James Comey, the book, A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. He comes out and talks about his career and his time with President Trump and how President Trump fired him. He's got a media blitz going now. I bought the book. I haven't had a chance to read it. It only came out to the public yesterday, but I ordered my copy. I got it for my Kindle, so I'm going to see what it says. 
Now, the president certainly hasn't been happy about the book, and he's been tweeting all kinds of things. My problem is I, you know, I guess Comey has his right to say what he wants, and I guess the president has his right to say what he wants, but I think it's beneath the dignity of the president to call Comey a slime ball. That's just not very nice. At any rate, I'm going to read the book for myself. A lot of critics don't like it. Some critics say it's okay. We will see what happens with it. Now, the other thing that happened this week is with the case concerning Michael Cohen. This was the president's lawyer. And uh, as you know, there was a raid the week before last on the lawyer's office, his home, and his hotel room, and lots of documents were taken by the FBI in a no-knock warrant. Uh, over the weekend, lawyers for Mr. Cohen and the president, who joined in with this, sought an injunction from the FBI using the records before they had the chance, that is, to go through them to see if there was any privileged information that the government should not have. There was a hearing on Monday the 16th, and among other things, the judge in this case said that um, she won't give them an injunction. The warrant was valid. The warrant was something that was used to get documents. But she came to a compromise. She says that the government has the documents, but they have to make copies and give copies to Mr. Cohen so he can see whether there are things that are privileged that he wants to not be used. Now, this is somewhat unusual in court. Very often, the uh, government itself will look at the documents and they will make decisions about what they think is privileged and what is not. Then they come back to the judge and fight over it. Sometimes the judge will appoint what's known as a master, who is sort of a neutral party, a lawyer, who can also decide what is privileged and what isn't privileged. Now, they haven't gotten to that stage. The judge is telling the parties to work it out among themselves. Now, this doesn't happen all the time in court, but it does happen sometimes. Now, let me, that's my commentary. Let me give your, give you my opinion as a former federal prosecutor. I wasn't involved in a whole lot of investigations, but I do know about investigations and I have worked in investigations. And I also know that once you have a warrant signed by a judge giving probable cause to seek these documents, most federal prosecutors, and I was one of them, already have pretty strong evidence that crimes have been committed or are being committed. So the documents in themselves may be helpful, but I'll tell you from my experience, the FBI and the Southern District of New York federal prosecutors know a lot about what Mr. Cohen has been doing. Some of it probably not legal. One of the things they're looking at is did he commit bank fraud with respect to 
paying Stormy Daniels $130,000 out of his alleged uh, home equity loan. That could be illegal if he told the bank he was using it for home renovation and he used it to pay a porn star 11 days before the election as hush money. Now, on Monday also, the judge wanted to know how many clients Mr. Cohen had. It turns out the lawyer said there are three clients. It's a small practice. And uh, he gave the names of two of them. One of we all know is Donald Trump. The other is a fellow by the name of Brody, who was a high member in the Republican National Party. And then it came out that the third client was Sean Hannity of Fox News. Now, what's wrong with this picture? Well, again, I'm not so much speaking as a lawyer who was a federal prosecutor, but I don't listen to Fox News a lot, a lot, but sometimes I do, and I know that Sean Hannity has been on a tear about what the FBI did raiding Mr. Cohen's office and his home to get documents, how bad the FBI are, how awful Robert Mueller is. At the same time, he never told his listeners that he was a client of Michael Cohen. Now, he says that he never paid him a fee, never said, never paid an invoice. However, if he gave legal advice, he was his lawyer, in fact. So, again, we'll see what happens with all of this. But I tell you, things I'm hearing out of this case are really something. My own experience is the feds know more than... Cohen and Trump and Hannity think. We will see what happens. Stick with us. This is Birdsong. Hey folks, Birdsong back with you. Hopefully you've been informed in the first part of the show. Now we're going to do a little entertainment. We've listened to me, you've listened to me talk about my commentary and opinions, and you've listened to our guest, Dr. Oliver, who is now an American citizen, originally from Nigeria. He's a doctor, his wife's a dentist. They took time from their careers to help raise their granddaughter. Something. But now I'm going to tell you some, or read you some dumb criminal law stories. These are some stories I collected last year, but they're still funny, and they're all true. You can read some of my stories on my blog, birdsongslaw.com, and uh, you can do that for free. Go to birdsong, birdsongslaw.com, www.birdsongslaw.com. Our first story comes from Arizona. The headline reads, Wild Child. It's been reported that a Phoenix area police officer first tried compassion, 
responding to a naked woman's claim that she had been a sex crime victim at a gas station in Gila Bend, Arizona. However, when the Maricopa Sheriff deputy went around to the trunk of his cruiser to retrieve a blanket for her, what did she do? She jumped in the driver's seat and took off in the police cruiser, leading police on a wild seven-and-a-half-mile chase before she crashed along Highway I-10 in Elroy, Arizona. She was taken to a hospital in custody. I think she was arrested. (laughs) Another story from Arizona. Here's the headline. Good the wood did not go up in smoke. Good the wood did not go up in smoke. Customs officers confiscated stacks of firewood coming across the Mexican border in a pickup truck after a drug-sniffing dog's reaction spurred suspicion. As it turned out, officers discovered that each of the logs were hollowed out and stuffed with 100 pounds of marijuana. The whole load was worth about (laughs) $53,000. Good the wood did not go up in smoke, huh? (laughs) All right, let's go overseas. Here's a story from Austria. These stories, these dumb criminal stories, come from all over the world. Feed... The Kitty, a supermarket manager who was arrested for embezzling $21,000, moaned to the judge that he needed the money for his precious cat. The 35-year-old embezzler had pocketed small amounts of money over the months by duping cashiers into believing their till balances were too low. He then made them shell out the difference to him. Feed the Kitty. (laughs) He went to jail. (laughs) All right, how about Brazil? The headline, had run afoul of the rules, yuck, yuck. Convicts took prison smuggling to new heights when they used a carrier pigeon to slip a cell phone past guards. Prisoners told pals on the outside to strap the phone to a vest-like garment on the bird which soared over a fence at the Nilton Silva prison in Franco de Rocha, Brazil. However, guards spotted inmates trying to catch the pigeon and realized that the prisoners had what? Run afoul of the prison rules. (laughs) Run afoul of the prison rules, get it? (laughs) All right. Let's go to California. Headline on this one says, sounds more like a crime bus than a party bus. We learned that robbers held up a 7-Eleven store and then made their getaway in a party bus. The 7-Eleven clerk in Huntington Beach, California, who was robbed and assaulted, advised police that the robbers got away in a bus. The officers later pulled over that bus on the Pacific Coast Highway and interviewed The 80 people on board, what did they find? Two of them were arrested and seven loaded handguns were confiscated, officials report. Sounds more like a crime bus than a party bus to me, doesn't it to you? (laughs) All right, another story from California. Headline on this one, worst bank robber ever. Alvin Lee Neal, 56, was recently sentenced to three years and ten months in prison for robbing a Wells Fargo bank in San Diego, California last May. Uh, Moments before demanding money, Neil inexplicably 
swiped his ATM card in a reader at the teller's window, thereby revealing his identity, officials said. The idiot was caught. After they went to his home, he was arrested. <laughs> Another story from California. Double trouble, maybe? A man allegedly stole two vans from the same mortuary, returning the first after he found a corpse in the back. Bobby Washington, 24 years old, took the first hearse about 1.30 a.m. on a Sunday in February, but returned it when he found a cadaver, according to the Riverside, California police. Now, that's when he was arrested trying to steal the second van. Police have not determined his motive for stealing the funeral vans. Probably he wanted to sell them, but he was dead wrong. <laughs> All right. Here's a story from Canada. This was really sort of sad, although it's somewhat funny. The headline, maybe he was on the drug. Parents were quite troubled and disturbed by a teacher who passed out a homework assignment with instructions on how to make and use crystal meth. The eighth grade drama teacher at Aaron Mills Middle School in Mississauga, Canada, sent home a script, I'm sorry, sent home a script for a skit about cooking up speed and told the children to act happy when injecting the drug. The unidentified teacher was suspended without pay. Thank heavens. <laughs> Maybe he was on the drug. Maybe. Another story out of Canada. A judge found the firing of a longtime Burger King employee for taking home a fish sandwich combo meal was a whopper of a mistake. <laughs> the judge awarded Yusha Ram, who's 55, $46,000 for wrongful termination. Ram said he had permission to take the food home. Her boss denied it. Either way, with the employee discounts, Miss Ram, who worked 24 years for Burger King, only owed $1 for the meal. That was an expensive meal for Burger King, $46,000 for wrongful firing. All right, just a few more. No, nah, I don't want to read that one. Here's one from Florida. The headline, boy, did he have egg on his face. A young man was arrested for setting up a table and eating pancakes in the middle of a busy road. Kieran Thomas, who's 21, was wearing bright green pajamas and watching a small portable TV while he ate breakfast in Lakeland, Florida. Allegedly, Thomas told police it was a prank that had gone wrong. Sounds like one of those silly fraternity-type things they make pledges do. Did he have egg on his face? We do not know, but he was given a warning, not arrested. All right. This last story for today, the headline said simply, Idiot. It's also from Florida. A wannabe burglar picked the worst place in the world for a break-in, a surveillance camera shop. 
The hoodlum was caught on several hidden cameras trying to smash in a door at the spy spot investigations in Deerfield Beach, Florida, police report. Yes, he was arrested because they caught him on video. (laughs) This is Birdsong. Those are the dumb criminal law stories for this week. These stories never end. They're all true. But before I go here, there are a couple of riddles, maybe three riddles I have for you today. They're easy ones. And I'll give you the answers at the end of the show. The first riddle. Why do dogs run in circles? Why do dogs run in circles? Think about it. Second riddle. How do dinosaurs pay their bills? How do dinosaurs pay their bills? Finally, how much money does a skunk have? How much money does a skunk have? Those are the three riddles. I'll come back at the end of the show and give you the answers. See if you can figure them out. This is Birdsong. Stick with us. There's more to come. Folks, Birdsong back with you. Great show today. I'm happy to be with you, sharing some knowledge, entertaining you a little bit. I've got another Paul Harvey story for you today. This was delivered by Paul Harvey. It was written by his son, Paul Harvey Errant. It's entitled, If. Here's the story. When rape results in pregnancy, or when giving birth might cost the mother's life, a few women would fail to consider, as an alternative, abortion. But let's say you're a doctor, a physician a physician not morally adverse to terminating patients' pregnancy, and circumstances are neither frivolous nor dire. Let's say that on a given day you are consulted by two young women, both pregnant, both doubtful as to whether they should be. Now remember... Such a choice is ultimately the mother's, but because you are a physician, and because your judgment is respected, and because your patient is seeking guidance, everything you say, regardless of how clinically objective, yes, even the tone of your voice, may sway her decision. Yours is a position of enormous responsibility, like it or not. The very expression on your face could save or extinguish a life. Your first experiment, I'm sorry, your first expectant mother is Katerina. Katerina is unmarried, obviously in her teens, obviously poor. You ask her age and she tells you, and at once you realize she has overstated her years by one or two or three. Katerina is in the first trimester of her pregnancy. You ask if she's been pregnant before. Katerina shakes her head no. Studying her, you wonder. You inquire of her general health. No problem, she says. And the health of the father? Katerina 
shugs, and her eyes fall. She has lost contact with the father of her unborn child. All she knows is that he was 23, a lawyer or a notary or something like that. He lives nearby, she thinks. She's not sure. The affair was over quickly, a little more than a one-night stand. No child was expected, nor now is it wanted. What, doctor, is your advice? Later the same day, you are consulted by a second expectant mother. Her name is Clara. Clara is 28, married three years, the wife of a government worker. She has the look of a woman accustomed to anguish. Concerned for the ultimate health of her newborn, Clara explains that for each year of her marriage she had had a child, and each child has died, the first within 31 months, the second within 16 months, and the third within several days. Disease, you ask? Clara nods. She suspects that any future child would be equally susceptible. For you see, her husband is also her second cousin. Both Catholic, they receive papal dispensation to marry, though now Clara questions their wisdom in asking permission. And then there's something else. One of Clara's sisters is a hunchback. Another sister, the mother of a hunchback. Clara is in the first trimester of her fourth pregnancy. The odds are against the health of her child. Time is running out. And it's only later that you learn that Clara's husband is not, as she said, her second cousin. He is really her uncle. So what, doctor, is your advice? In addition to all immediate considerations, physical, moral, religious, the dilemma of whether to terminate a pregnancy is a philosophical question. Might this life, if left to live, affect the consciousness or even the destiny of mankind? Yet if the profundity of this question is diminished by the balance which governs all life, there is evidence in the two true stories you have just heard. The unwed mother with the unwanted child, the married mother with the graves of three infants behind her. For if you as the hypothetical physician, have opted in both cases for abortion, then you would have respectively, respectively denied the world the multifaceted genius of Leonardo da Vinci and spared humanity the terror of Adolf Hitler. They are the rest of the story. <laughs> Think about that one, folks. All right, I'm coming to the end of the program here. Have you have you solved the riddles? Well, let's see what I can do here. Why do dogs run in circles? Why do dogs run in circles? Here's the answer. It's too hard to run in squares. <laughs> the second one. How do dinosaurs pay their bills? How do dinosaurs pay their bills? If you said with Tyrannosaurus checks, you would be right. They pay their bills with Tyrannosaurus checks. <laughs> All right, the last one. How much money does a skunk have? How much money does a skunk have? One cent. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. It's been great being with you today, and I'll be with you next week. i uh, got uh, thought for the day. Even rocket scientists fail many times before they succeed. A trio of rocket scientists at the Rocket Chemical Company tinkered with different formulas to prevent corrosion on rockets starting back in 1953. It took them 40 attempts to succeed. Over 15 years later, the product was commercialized and called WD-40, which stands for Water Displacement 40th Attempt. The one cure-all spray is reported to be in up to 80% of American homes. They are re- reported to be 2,000 uses for WT, WD-40. Do you have some in your closet or in your workroom? I know I do. This is Birdsong. Been great being with you. Hope to talk to you next week. Stick with me. <laughs>